So, are people creatures of habit? Or are we creatures who are constantly changing, and evolving, and developing, growing? Are the habits that we do both consciously and unconsciously, do they, do they help us change and adapt and develop, and grow and evolve? Or do they actually inhibit us from growing and changing and evolving and developing? That's what I want to talk about today and actually for the next four weeks. I want to talk about a theory of development that I think is really, uh, well, it's been helpful to me for the last year or two because it talks about the importance of certain practices and habits for growth and change, but it also introduces the absolutely essential ingredient for growth and change and development and evolution and that is disruption so i want to talk about four different sort of a cycle of growth or four different stages of growing first there's disruption that's what i'm going to talk about today when the normal flow of life as you know it is interrupted and it's never a good, it's almost never a good thing. It's almost never, it doesn't ever feel comfortable when it's really genuinely a disruption. I'll talk about some examples of what disruptions are and how we typically deal with them. And then I'll talk about maybe a different way of embracing or befriending disruptions so that we actually can begin to develop and change and grow and evolve. Because I think most of us would say we want to. Our world is changing so quickly. Um, there's things about ourselves maybe that don't feel like they're quite robust enough for the challenges that we're facing. But if we don't know the importance of the disruption as it relates to starting a cycle of growth, then I think unconsciously we'll resist the disruption and we'll actually resist growth and change. So I'll give some examples about that. And then in the following weeks, I'll talk about the next three uh, stages, if you will. And this is a cycle. We go through these stages over and over again. And I think it's even possible to be in more than one stage at the same time. So don't think of them, certainly don't think of them linear in a linear way. Think of them as a circular cycle, perhaps, but not quite that exact. The next one would be uh, receiving an invitation. And so it's, it's, it's one thing to experience a disruption, but if you, there's a way of sort of rebuffing a disruption, uh, saying no to the invitation, that stops the cycle of growth right there. So there's an invitation that we can receive or not. And then once we've received an invitation to change, grow, develop, evolve, there's there's a period of time in which we have to actually educate ourselves or be educated by a different perspective because our worldview has expanded. And now the old answers to the questions are not quite satisfying. If you think theologically, certainly many of you have been through that, but even relational conflict or change when you get betrayed, there's just a certain... Um, there's a certain new way of thinking and seeing and being that you need to go through in order to create a new system so that you, your, your new questions 
can have better answers. Your old questions can have better answers. And you can even ask new questions and start pursuing better answers. And then I would say the fourth stage in this is integration, when you sort of put it all together in a worldview that matches with what your actions are in the world. And then, of course, what's going to happen is you're going to do that for a while, and then you're going to get a new disruption. (laughs) Okay, so it's never permanent or perfect, and it's certainly not certain. And this is not to be seen as an exact science. It certainly isn't. It's, It's a combination of philosophy, theology, psychology, sociology, but also just intuition and hunch about how human beings adapt and evolve and and what are the things that get in the way. So let's dive into disruption. There was, I was having, uh, I, I, was, I was at a dinner party uh, recently and uh, it was all just adults of various ages from I think 30s to 60s, actually, and it was a beautiful time. We were laughing, and it was in someone's home eating delicious food. And one of the couples had brought their newborn baby. The baby, I think, is about eight weeks old. And so, um, you know, one of the grandmas in the in the room offered to hold the baby. And then the baby, when he was getting a little fussy, she offered to give it a bottle uh, and we were all just continuing to laugh and, and have a conversation with each other. But then, you know, we could tell the baby was uh, uncomfortable, grunting, unhappy, trying to take the bottle, but it wasn't going down. And so, you know what happens that the grandma switches how she's holding the baby and, um, you know, switches the and then put the, she put the bottle down and the baby was still unhappy. And so, uh, pick the bottle back up. And, and this went on for maybe 15 minutes or so. And finally, you know, she said, I, I don't, I don't know what, you know, the, I, th- I think the parents uh, mentioned, oh, it seems like, she, it seems like he's hungry. And then, you know, the grandma said, well, you know, I've been trying to feed it the bottle, feed him the bottle, but, it, but he just won't take it. And then one of the other uh, people that was, that had, that was looking right at the grandma that was holding the baby she was a new mom herself, and she said, you know, I, I've, I didn't want to say anything, but I've been noticing that there's actually no milk getting to the nipple of the bottle, and I think that's the problem. And, and, and suddenly everyone went, oh, and, and the parents reached for the bottle and open up the bottle, and those of you who maybe uh, have babies now or, or had babies recently, you know, there's... Uh, you can put a little blocker in there so that if the if the bottle gets tipped over, it won't leak and stuff like that. So, well, the blocker hadn't been removed, okay? And so the poor baby, you know, who's thinking, would someone please get me some milk? I'm sucking like I normally do, but I don't get the reward that I normally get. I don't know what's wrong. I'm mad. And they think it's just gas and it's not. I'm really hungry. I want to eat. It's not that I'm not hungry. It's not that I am. I'm hungry and don't know how to eat. It's that something is wrong. Okay. From so from the baby's perspective, all he knows eight weeks is that the little, you know, the sucking that usually results in a reward of milk is not working. And all the grandma knows is that that what's normally working, holding the baby, shifting positions, giving him a little time, burping him, all that stuff isn't working. But she just can't see what the other mom could see. She she didn't, she just couldn't see that the milk wasn't flowing into the nipple. First of all, she wasn't looking for that. And I talked to her later and she said, 
Here's the thing, like when my kids, her kids are both in their 30s now. She said, when my kids were, were babies, we, we, didn't, we didn't have blockers. Like, why? no one had thought of that yet. And so I didn't even think to even that, that that was even a possibility for what was happening that was wrong. And so it, it, it took, so th- th- this, this disruption, uh, which was essentially the, the, the blocker, um, that was blocking the milk, but, but also there was a disruption of the, the, the other mom who actually had the courage to say out loud, Hey, you can't see this. And maybe you don't even know this, but I can see that there's no milk filling up in the nipple. And so what I think, and I know what that means, that means there's a little blocker in there uh, inhibiting the flow of milk. And that's, that's the problem. And so, uh, and then of course, when the cap was put back on without the blocker and the grandma did what she always was, that she already was doing, uh, that baby just sucked down that milk and was extremely happy immediately. Okay, well, so look, like, think about that story in terms of the kinds of things that happen in our life. Things have been uh, flowing smoothly. Maybe your job is flowing smoothly. Your marriage is flowing smoothly. Maybe uh, your belief system is flowing smoothly. But then I think it's almost like the universe conspires to disrupt something about your experience so that you have the opportunity to expand how you see the world, how you see yourself. Uh, Something that has been working just really, really well, again, a job, a relationship. Suddenly things aren't working well. Suddenly at work, you're having conflicts with your supervisor. Suddenly at work, you the things that you used to really enjoy doing, now you don't enjoy doing so much anymore. Um, or a new employee has joined the team that has disrupted the flow. Uh, if it's a relationship, maybe um, your roommate has uh, changed her um, her daily routine. Now she's getting up at five in the morning and making some noise and waking you up. And uh, so your normal routine has changed. Or maybe uh, you have you used to believe something about what the Bible said about women in ministry or the LGBTQIA plus community or justice or immigration or any number of things that Maybe you never even thought about it before, but now something is happening in the world. Something's bugging you. Something, some new relationship or a new piece of information has lodged itself sort of in your field of vision. And, and it's almost like an irritant, like it's something in your eye that you can't quite get out and you can't ignore it anymore. And so that's a disruption. It's any event or person or question or pain or suffering could be an illness it could be a diagnosis it could be um, the death of a spouse the uh, could be the the start of a new relationship it doesn't always have to be something that's like negative it could be something that is viewed very positively Um, but a disruption is anything which 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 interrupts the flow of normal life and and you have to sit with this irritant in your field of vision, which you can no longer ignore. 
once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, and as many, many folks have um, said over the years, um, think about Copernicus, you know, the first astronomer back in the early 1500s, who was the first one to discover that, that the earth was actually just one of several planets that was actually moving, orbiting around the sun. Uh, previous to that, prior to that, the firm and fixed belief was that the earth actually was the center of the universe. Not only was the center of the universe, but was fixed and not moving, was as stable and reliable as anything. And if you think about that, like how convenient that would have been had it been true that we live on a planet. We, we know that there are other planets. We can see them. And that's why there was the field of astronomy in the first place. And we know there's the sun and the moon, and we know that there's other planets. So, so we see them, but how, how convenient that the planet that we were born on would be the center, the unmoving, fixed reference point for everything else, right? And it, so to me, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that up until 1500, the assumption was that, um, that the, the planet on which we lived, it, of course, it was the immovable, fixed center of the universe. And so when Copernicus made his discovery, it took a long time for people to uh, latch onto it. It was a huge shift. People, I mean, Martin Luther and the reformers that was, that was happening right at the same time. So fascinating that the scientific revolution happened at the same time as the reformation. Uh, that uh, even as the reformers, this is so fascinating to think about, even as the reformers were radically shifting how uh, Christians see authority uh, moving from the Pope to the priesthood of all believers, or uh, when the printing press came out, now the Bible could be read by normal people. And when it was translated into German, you know, for then, then it wasn't just the theologians that could read it and study it. Everyone could. And that was, it was just such a, such a huge shift. But at the same time, those same people were refuting uh, Copernicus, his, his theory, because they believed the Bible was clear that the earth was the foundation and the fixed point of the universe. So it took a long time for even the reformers who on the one side were experiencing such a radical shift themselves and were open to that shift. They were not open to a scientific shift. It took far longer. Well, here's the thing. Um, all of us, the the frame of reference that that all of us have let's it, you just have to be honest we have the same frame of reference that that in a sense we are the fixed center of the universe as well now we we don't think that rationally we know that we're not the center of the universe but we act and behave as if we are and the reason why i i, I think we can we can believe that that's true is that uh, when we, we basically assume everything should go the way we want it to go. That's why, you know, when there's a traffic jam that shouldn't happen and now we're going to be late to work, we get, we get so upset because there's some unconscious, irrational part of us that really believes it's truly unfair that this would happen to us. We don't start thinking 
oh man, what, you know, like, was there a crash up ahead? I mean, maybe you're thinking that, but even if you're thinking that you're not, you're not first of all concerned that, oh, there's a crash. Oh, who's maybe hurt or, um, or, you know, what's we, we, the first, our first thought is, oh, dang it, I'm going to be late to work. And what, you know, that's, that creates anxiety and we get all mad about it or, um, Right. Or, you know, if someone does something to you that bugs you, that's uh, not, it, it, it creates sort of some work for you. It's inconvenient. We, we have a sense of entitlement, like, no, that, that just, that shouldn't happen to me. They shouldn't have done that. And again, the re <laughs> it's so funny when you think about it, but the reason why that is, is because we, there is some part of us that really does act as if we are the center of the universe, that every, that we are the fixed reference point and that everyone should revolve around us. And that's why when something bad happens to us, we really do, we, there really is kind of a shock. Like instead of, you know, instead of saying, well, you know, traffic happens or, you know, even annoying habits that your cube, the, the person, the cube next to you has, you know, they, they, they have a way of clearing their throat that just drives you crazy, you know? And it's like, like, instead of just seeing that as a normal part of just life, we have to deal with interruptions. We deal, we deal with things that, that bother us that, um, like instead of, we, we, we think as if some injustice is happening just because they keep clearing their throat in an obnoxious way. You know what I mean? It's because we are pretty convinced we're the center of the universe. And, and when we're at a lower developmental age, a baby, like that baby that, uh, that my friend, the grandma was holding that baby, that the only view that he knows is he's the center of the universe. He doesn't even have a differentiation between him and his mom at that point. That's normal and natural. He can't have a greater point of view. And that'll last, you know, really into his, you know, eight, nine. But people do grow and develop. People do adapt and change. It's just that like when you're a kid, those those disruptions are have much more of an obvious um, stage to them. Puberty is a great example of a huge disruption where your body's changing, your voice is changing. If you're a guy, you're growing hair where you normally didn't. Your body's getting curvier or maybe more lean, and your parts of your um, genitalia is changing and adapting. So like that's this sort of obvious threshold through which you know you're adapting and changing and growing. But when you're an adult, there's just far less, far less obvious when a disruption happens. But we need disruptions, you guys. We desperately need disruptions so that we can be forced out of the center of the universe because the reality is if you unconsciously believe that you're the center of the universe and you're the fixed reference point, it's a miserable way to live. You just will never be content. You'll never be content. You'll always unconsciously believe that the world is conspiring against you with every uh, annoying something that someone else does, every cold you get on vacation. Now that is annoying. Of course it is. 
but to the degree that you have not yet accepted the reality that you're not the fixed reference point of your world. (laughs) You will, as the Buddhists like to say, you'll just experience a whole world of suffering uh, and denial. And it's not a it's not a joyful, delightful world that you live in. It's a world of protectiveness and surprise and shock whenever anything even slightly bad happens to you. There's a psychologist named Robert Keegan uh, who came up with a theory of five stages of adult human development. And he has this quote that I don't know if I've shared this before here on the podcast. Maybe I have, but I want to share it again if I have. And it is this. Uh, He was a Harvard psychologist, um, and he developed this, I think, in the 80s, so a long time ago. But this is his essential framework for um, what's necessary. This is his definition, basically, of disruption. And he says this, the great embarrassment or liberation of transformation itself is the recognition that what we have been taking as reality is only a construction of reality. Let me say that again. The great embarrassment or liberation of transformation itself is the recognition that what we have been taking as reality is only a construction of reality. So for the whole entire history of the world before Copernicus, we had been t- taking as reality that the, that the earth was the immovable fixed reference point, the, the center of the universe. That was our construction of reality. That's what we thought reality was. And then over time, after Copernicus's major discovery, we reality itself didn't change okay the earth was never the fixed reference point the earth was never the center of the universe we only thought it was that was our construction of reality and then the great moment of liberation freedom expansion of thinking development growth is that moment when you realize and it's a disruptive moment okay that this what I thought was reality is really only a construction of reality. And the reason why this is embarrassing is because when you kind of realize it, you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I thought that way for so long. That's so ridiculous. But it's also, um, it's also just so liberating because it means, oh, there's more, there's more to learn. There's more to discover. And it's even liberating when you realize that no matter how evolved or developed you are right now in how you think and see the world, even that is a construction of reality. Even that is not quite reality itself, right? Um, And so we can either fight those disruptions. We can either, well, we can try to ignore them, push them down, pretend they don't exist, um, but once you really, once, once that shift happens, once that disruption, once it becomes that irritant in your eye that you can no longer avoid, you can no longer ignore, once you really like get in there and see it for what it is, um, and you take it out, then, then you, you realize, oh my, there's, the world looks different. The world looks different. 
Hey, we'll get right back to the podcast, but I want to let you know about a new resource that I'm creating called Finding God After Losing Faith. It's for anyone who feels stuck in their religious system, who feels like they can't possibly make it one more day without believing something new. In this weekly email, I'll provide links and articles and poems and some of the best and most inspiring things that I know about in order to help you keep finding God even if you've lost your faith. But the only way to get it is by subscribing to my weekly email. And you can do that by going to my website, steveweens.com, and then scroll to the bottom and subscribe to Finding God After Losing Faith. I'm really excited about this one, and I hope it is a really helpful weekly resource for you as you continue to search for God. Now, back to the podcast. There's this story in the New Testament Jesus tells. I'll I'll make it really, really quick, but it's this guy who's born blind, and then Jesus heals him. Now he can see, and no one in the community, including his parents, the religious leaders, no one just no one can understand what has happened. And so they get into this huge debate and it even gets to, um, you know, are you even the guy that we have always known? Maybe you're a different guy. (laughs) So ridiculous. And his perspective is just simply, I've been healed. I don't, I don't even know really Jesus, this guy who did it. And Jesus is nowhere to be found throughout this whole dialogue. It's found in, if you want to read it yourself, John chapter nine, the Gospel of John. The Gospels are four different points of view, four different perspectives of the life of Jesus and primarily his the last three years before he died. And four different perspectives, even that's fascinating, right? Why did we need four? And they are different. Like um, some, some of the stories are, are told and you can tell they're the same story, but they're told differently because they're told from a different perspective, right? So um, now you can get into arguments about does healing really happen or does it still happen or how was it that, you know, Jesus really did this. And, and but I think that's to miss the point. I, I'm not sure if it happened or not really. I, I think it could have for sure. I tend to think why not? The reality is it also also not or it also tells a deeper story about the reality of what happens when someone suddenly sees their construction of reality is suddenly different. It's as if you were blind to a bigger reality, but now you can see it, right? And when you can see it, you can't go back. That's why next week we'll talk about the invitation and what it means when you the disruption has happened, you're not ignoring it, you're learning to live in the tension of it, you're embracing it. And then you get an invitation to see something bigger, something different, something uh, more expansive, right? And so um, what I want to do is invite you, if you're dealing with any kind of disruption, invite you into sort of some movements where you can like move more toward embracing it versus resisting it. And let me tell you, our, we never want to be pushed out of the center. Like It's very uncomfortable to receive a disruption and to change the way that we act and believe. But, but essentially, the theory behind this is that, and this is Robert Keegan, but is that we don't change or grow or evolve or transform based on learning new things. We, we change and grow and develop and evolve when how we see things changes, right? So it's like Copernicus, when suddenly he realized he saw 
uh, that, no, wait a minute, the earth is not the fixed reference point. It's not the fixed center of the universe. Then, um, then, then he was able, uh, to adapt, grow, change. That's how the shift happened. So it's not learning new things. It's changing how we see ourselves, the world, God, each other. So the first movement when you're experiencing a disruption, is just to notice the feelings that rise up in you and try to notice them without judging them. It's probably going to be some combination of anger, fear, um, and a desire for things to go back to normal. I mean, that's probably what's going to happen, no matter what the disruption is. And so I think it's important to notice those feelings without judging them because they're there. And if you try to push anger down, if you try to push fear down, Really, it's just going to take a whole lot longer to get to that invitation to see something different, to see something new, uh, to leave one way of doing things and adopt another way of doing things. So I think notice the anger and notice and get, and get curious about why is that there? I'm not bad for being angry because of the disruption happened. I'm not a bad person for getting angry because traffic is making me late to work, but just get curious. Like, why is this bothering me so much that, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Traffic is traffic. I mean, you know, what am I going to like fly above it somehow? Um, so there's there's a there's a noticing without judging that allows you to sort of sit with it. I was listening to this guy that was doing mindfulness, and he was talking about um, being in a place where he was learning to even like he would sit, he would be sitting in silence and trying not to move. And so, and then an itch would come, like his he would back would be itchy. You know that feeling where your back is itchy, and it's almost like crazy. If you don't itch it, you're gonna go crazy. But he was also trying not to move, and so over time he he actually experience that itch come and then move to a different place in his body and then the itch disappeared i mean that's fascinating right like there is a way of living with the, the disruption if you sit with it for long enough without trying to push it down or change something super quick it it rises and falls right that's just the basic that's impermanence is really what that is but and then once you've sat with it for a while to the point where you're not so triggered by it, okay, then the next movement is to pursue some other perspectives other than what you have always seen, always thought, always done. And so that's why like the story of the baby, my friend, the grandma needed to see a different perspective, needed to gain a different perspective that was given only from someone that could see something differently and that knew something more than she knew, that there was blockers in bottles these days and that the nipple wasn't being filled with milk in the little bottle. So pursue other perspectives, pursue points of view that aren't your point of view, pursue ways of thinking and knowing that aren't your normal ways of thinking and knowing. You don't have to adopt everything that you read, think, see, are told. Of course not. But I think we do, if we're going to think differently and see the world differently, it's not going to happen by, you know, going back to the same old references and the same old way of thinking. You know, that's obvious, right? And then third, um, begin the journey of learning to embrace uncertainty. There's a part of us that wants to know. We just want to know. We want things to be settled. We want things to be done. But the reality of life is not certainty, actually. And there's a way in which the the myth of certainty, the myth of the satisfying nature of certainty is a myth. 
because the the world is not a closed system. You know, you are not a closed system. People are reacting and interacting with you all the time. You're experiencing new perspectives, especially I think in this day and age, that sounds so weird to say, but with the internet and, and we are receiving so many stimulus, so many stimuli that to think that that we can sit in a certainty really of anything and have that be a satisfying, content way to live is simply to be blind. It's to be walking around blind. Um, and I mean, no, that's, that's certainly not meant to be pejorative to people that actually are blind. It's a metaphor there. It's walking around pretending you can see things that you really cannot see. And so it's one thing to be, um, you know, it's one thing to be blind and know it. The problem of certainty is that you're blind and you don't know it. That's the problem of certainty. And that's why the myth of the satisfying life is a life where you're certain of everything is true, is that you're just pretending that disruptions won't happen. And, um, and, and when you, and you're insisting that you're the center of the universe and you're and that's, again, that's just an unsatisfying, unhappy, discontented, unintegrated, lonely way to live when you really get down to it. So, my friends, what are the disruptions that are happening in your life right now? Maybe it's theological. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's vocational. Maybe it's in your body. Maybe it's because someone else is changing around you and it's causing all kinds of disruption. Can you notice your feelings without judging them? Let them rise and fall. Now, when you're not so triggered, can you pursue another perspective, a different perspective, something from someone or some resource that you uh, that is new to you, that you don't currently have, some new way of seeing? Can you pursue that? Turn that around in your hands, watch it, interrogate it, consider it, that it might be true so that you can have that moment of great embarrassment and liberation when you can realize that what you've been taking as reality really isn't reality. It's just a construction of reality. And that's the nature of how we adopt things and we keep growing. And then so that, uh, and then can you learn to live with the reality of uncertainty as a way of life versus now that doesn't mean, you know, again, we're going to talk about the next three weeks to how to build a new construction that really is satisfying through an invitation and education and integration, but it'll only be satisfying for a while <laughs> until you need another one. So my friends, I can't wait for these next four weeks. They're going to be super fun. Uh, I hope that they're helpful to you in your own journey of growth and development and change. And um, as always, uh, I just really appreciate uh, you, your listening to this and the way that you support uh, my work. Thank you, my friends. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. 
One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.